I'll invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, that's in your Old Testament. We finished up our study through the book of Judges last week, and I thought with the time remaining before we head into Christmas, it would be timely to do some messages on current events and as they were related to Bible prophecy and looking forward to the blessed hope, which is the return of Christ. And I think you will be surprised at uh, how much the Bible has to say about our current situation and some of the trends that we are seeing in our world moving us into an end-time scenario that the Bible foretold thousands of years ago. So the title of our study over the next few weeks is going to be called End Times Super Trends. And the purpose of this study is to look at the trends and the direction that the world is moving and show you how that aligns perfectly with the prophetic picture that is given to us in the Word of God. So we'll be in Daniel chapter 7 here today. And I want to talk to you today about a controversial subject, socialism and end times sign. Now, in 2020, a South Florida Cuban immigrant named Maximo Alvarez spoke to then-President Trump at the White House as part of a panel discussion. Mr. Alvarez shook up the talk by warning of the rise of socialism in the United States. Here's what he said. What is happening in our backyard today, I experienced as an 11-year-old I remember vividly all the promises that Castro gave the Cuban people, and 99% of the Cuban people swallowed the pill. Castro said he would save Cuba. He promised that all what we hear today about free education and free health care. This is alarming to me that you have politicians today trying to destroy America. Now, he wasn't the only voice that has sounded the alarm. Later that same year, a New York-based actress from Venezuela, a girl named Elizabeth Rogalini, posted a video on TikTok, and it went viral. And in the video, she warned her followers about what's happening in America was eerily reminiscent of what socialist President Hugo Chavez did when he came to power in Venezuela. Here's what she said. I've already lived through this thing when I was in Venezuela. First, statues came down. Chavez didn't want history displayed. And then he changed the street names, and then came the school curriculum. Then some movies couldn't be shown, and then certain TV channels, and so on and so forth. It was cancel culture. You guys think this can't happen to you. We didn't believe it could happen to us. The Cubans warned us, and we were like, this is Venezuela. We know about freedom. That's not going to happen here. Don't say you weren't warned. Now let's talk about Venezuela for a moment. At one time, Venezuela was the wealthiest nation in South America. The per capita income of its citizens was greater than those of China and Japan and almost rivaled the income of U.S. citizens. So what happened to change all this? Well, the first signs of natural erosion began in 1998 when the Venezuelans elected Hugo Chavez as their president. Once in power, Chavez relentlessly implemented the socialist playbook that was formulated by the Soviets and by the Chinese. His first task was to rewrite the Venezuelan constitution. Then he started to stack the Supreme Court of Venezuela with 12 new justices who were sympathetic to him. 
Next, the state took over the media to squash all dissenting voices. Then came the nationalization of the oil industry, and the government then took control of farms, mines, banks, even the grocery industry. And even though Chavez died in 2013, his hand-picked successor, a man named Nicolas Maduro, has taken the socialist agenda even further. And today, if you look at Venezuela, it is a wasteland of poverty and anarchy. Statistics show us that 96% of the people live below the poverty line, earning less than $1 a day. They have seen inflation rates in that country of up to 10 million percent inflation, which is why if you go to the store in Venezuela to buy a roll of toilet paper, it costs you 2.6 million bolivars. That's their unit of currency. As a result, an estimated, listen to this, 5.5 million Venezuelans have fled that country, many of which, no doubt, have ended up in the United States. Now, you may be wondering, as you hear the introduction to this message, Pastor Derek, what does all this have to do with me? I didn't come today to hear a political stump speech. Well, you should care, because socialist visions and policies are beginning to invade the United States. I don't have to remind you, but in 2020, Bernie Sanders, an avowed socialist, nearly won the Democratic Party's nomination for president. And he's not alone. There's a whole tribe of people in the same party with the same belief system as he. Listen to this. A recent poll showed that 40% of Americans have a favorable view of socialism. Moreover, that rate rises among young people below the age of 30, of whom 61% said that they would support a socialist candidate. I'm not here today to tell you who to vote for. I'm not telling you how to think. I'm here today to connect the dots for you and to help show you that what is going on in our country, what's going on in our culture, is taken straight from one of the most demonic philosophies, ideas that has ever been hoisted upon humanity. It's this belief of socialism or Marxism. Now, before we dive in any further, let's define some terms. What do I mean when I say socialism? That's a term you may hear batted around a lot in the culture, and nobody really stops to define it. Well, here's what I mean. It is a form of government in which the means of production, that is the infrastructure, the farms, factories, health care, natural resources, media, education, and so on, come under the control of the state. And a cornerstone of socialism is what is known as the redistribution of wealth. That's where the state or the government becomes a mechanism of giving out land, money, resources, and so on. Every time I hear a political candidate promising all the free stuff, free college, free health care, and a ton of other socialized programs, I think about this funny comic that I saw. It's a picture of Bernie Sanders and he's holding a baseball bat, and he's explaining to the baseball player, here's the caption, he says, under my system, when you hit a grand slam, two of those runs will go to the other team. <laughs> I laughed the other day as I was riding around Asheville, I saw the bumper sticker that said this, work harder, millions on welfare are depending on you. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the thought behind socialism, is that the government takes control of the wealth of the nation and the, the hardworking people, and then it redistributes it as it sees fit. On the surface, it may sound good. Wow, all this free stuff. Who wouldn't want that? But it quickly becomes totalitarian, especially if you study history, where you have the 1% in the ruling class 
who steal the wealth of the nation while the rest of the 99% are left to suffer in poverty. Now, if you want a stark difference or a picture of the difference, look at this image coming up. This is a nighttime image from a satellite of communist North Korea. It's outlined there. Versus free and capitalist South Korea. And look at the difference. North Korea, communist dictatorship, uh, it's in total darkness. While here is South Korea, just a few miles away, and they are enjoying the benefits and the blessings of modern life. Which one of those countries do you want to live in? I think it's very obvious. So what does the Bible have to say about all this? Well, I'll be honest, you won't find the word socialism in the Bible. And you won't find a prophecy about America, I believe, in the Bible, save for those prophecies that talk about all the nations of the world coming together in a global government to form the Antichrist empire one day. And I think America is going to be a part of that. But you won't see the word America, you won't find the word socialism in the Bible. But what you do notice as you study Scripture, especially the prophetic word, is how it is really a lifestyle and a system that is tailor-made for the Antichrist. And so I'm going to connect some dots here today, and I want you to see how the growing acceptance of socialism, not only in this country but around the world, is really an end-time sign that is moving the world exactly in the direction that prophets like Daniel and John in the book of Revelation said the world would go. So I want you to notice today, as we take notes, number one, the Antichrist and socialism. The Antichrist and socialism. And remember I told you to turn to Daniel chapter 7. That's where we'll be for the next few moments. Now, the dystopian society that socialism creates plays right into the Antichrist and his system and the, the way that the world is going to be set up toward the tribulation period, which is the last seven years of human history that the Bible specifically lays out in the book of Daniel in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And what the Bible says that's going to happen is there'll be one man who will rule the world in a totalitarian empire. His name is best known as the Antichrist, but he goes by several other different aliases in the Word of God. And the Antichrist will seek to control every aspect of people's lives, just like so many socialist dictators of the past have. You get a glimpse of what this empire is going to look like when you turn into Daniel chapter 7. And here what we have is a prophetic preview of what's coming. In Daniel 7, the prophet sees a series of beasts in a vision. Each one represents a different world empire that was going to come onto the world stage. There was a lion, a bear, a leopard, and these represented ancient kingdoms, Babylon. The Persians, the Greeks, all that's history. We can go back and read that. We know that that's been fulfilled. But there was a fourth beast that Daniel saw, beginning in verse 7 and 8 of Daniel 7, and that is a picture of the Antichrist who is to come. Notice what verses 7 and 8 say. The Bible says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what is left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, 
in the horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now you may press pause right there and say, Pastor Derek, what did I just read? <laughs> Keep in mind, this is apocalyptic literature. It uses symbolism to describe real world things. So we don't have to guess about what the symbols mean because the angel who delivers this message to Daniel actually gives him the interpretation of what the symbols mean later on in the same chapter. So if you drop down to verse 23 through 25, you get the interpretation and he explains what the symbols mean. What he describes is a terrifying vision that he interprets to be the last of the world empires on planet earth during the tribulation period led by the Antichrist who's pictured in that vision as the horn that rises up with eyes and a mouth. Now, there's four things I want you to see about this kingdom. We'll read in verse 23, 24, and 25, and then I'll show you. Notice what the text says. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down and break it into pieces. And as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand Watch this, for times, times, half a times. That's a Bible way of saying three and a half years, which is half the period of seven, which is, we know, the tribulation period. Now, four things you need to know about the Antichrist empire as it is pictured here in Daniel 7. First off, the angel tells Daniel it's going to be a dominating kingdom. That's what verse 23 says. He shall take over and devour the whole earth. He will dominate. Think one world government. Think global gulag state. That's what verse 23 says. Then he says it will be a devious kingdom. The Bible says that there will be ten kings that will start leading this regime, but then one will come up and usurp the authority of three. That's going to be the Antichrist. He'll put down those three, and then he will absorb their power and become the main leader. So he'll use his cunning, he'll use his devious deception to do that. That's what verse 24 is about. Also in verse 25, if you come down, you'll notice that it is a demonic kingdom. Now the kingdom was going to be pure evil. Notice that it says, He shall speak words against the Most High, and then notice this, He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That's the demonic part. Pure evil. Supercharged by Satan, this man of sin will be. He will blaspheme Christ. He will persecute any believers and any Jews on the earth without mercy. And then notice the last part of this kingdom, verse 25. The Bible says that it will also be a despotic kingdom. A despotic kingdom. The Bible says that he will think to change the times and the laws. In other words, he's going to rewrite the constitutions. He's going to abolish the laws of the nations so he can reform every aspect of civilization to conform to his godless agenda. So his rule will be absolute. It'll be a single world economy. It'll be state-sponsored religion. It'll be military control. It will be cultural conformity, cancel culture like you've never seen before. So what is my point here? My point here is that the Antichrist empire would be the dream of somebody like Stalin or Mao or Ceausescu or any of the other great infamous despots of history. And what I'm telling you is that when you hear what socialism is about, 
and you understand its twin, communism, they are both a prototype, a model, a scenario, which will give one person all and complete control over the levers of power. So when we see politicians and when we see world leaders wanting to move things in the direction of socialism, no, it's straight out of the book of Daniel chapter 7, setting up our world for a one-man ruling scenario. Friend, as we are witnessing right now the decline of the United States of America, as we see a push towards socialism and cultural Marxism rife in our streets, friend, we're moving in the direction that God said the world would go prior to the return of Jesus Christ. So, that's the Antichrist and socialism. Then I want you to see very quickly, as we continue, the architect of socialism. You say, well, all right, Derek, I understand what it means. I understand how the Bible pictures this. But where did this idea of socialism come from? Well, I want to give you a little brief history lesson. This is something that, unless you've taken higher level political classes in a college setting, or you've read some books, you probably don't know this. So who is the architect of this socialism? Well, to understand it, you have to first go to where the idea sprung from and it was an evil man named Karl Marx and you say Derek isn't that being judgmental to call him evil well just listen to a little bit of his life when you understand Marx and you understand how powerful his ideas were what you understand is that here's a man though he's been dead for over a century he still kind of rules the world from the grave his influence and his shadow is still long in the world but here's what a biographer once described him like he said, quote, Marx had the devil's view of the world and the devil's malignity. Sometimes he seemed to know he was accomplishing works of evil. That's what a biographer wrote about Karl Marx. His family, if you want to judge a man and you want to know really what he's about, look at how the impact he had on the people closest to him, his family. His family, listen to this, according to the biographer, thought that Karl Marx was possessed by the devil. Marx's partner, Friedrich Engels, who helped him co-author the Communist Manifesto. Here's what his friend said about him. Ten thousand devils had him by the hair. In 1837, Karl Marx authored a poem called The Pale Maiden, in which he wrote about himself. Here's the poem. Thus heaven I've forfeited, I know it full well, my soul once true to God is chosen for hell. In 1849, one year after publishing that crowning work of the Communist Manifesto, Marx was evicted by his landlord because his landlord was fed up with this man's filthiness and the fact that he lived in a pigsty. He never had a real job. He mooched off of everybody, according to the biographers. He fathered an illegitimate child by his handmaiden, his wife and daughters, listen to this, were so miserable living under the tyranny of Mr. Marx that they all committed suicide. Marx died in despair in 1883, and in his final letter to his friend Engels, here's what he said, How pointless and empty life is. He was buried, listen, in High Hate Cemetery in London, which was considered the center of Satanism in that day. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that the apple doesn't fall far 
from the tree. And I wonder how many who are out in the streets championing socialism and Marxism have any idea that it came from the warped, twisted mind of a man who was literally the devil incarnate, according to the people that lived with him. They have no clue where the idea came from. And as they support those ideas, they're actually doing the devil's work, I believe. So, you say, Pastor, you're overreacting. <laughs> well, look at the way our country has gone over the past year and a half. Do you like the direction your country is going? As you study history and you see how Marxism works, do you see that we're headed in the same direction? That's the architect of socialism. That's the antichrist in socialism. We're moving in that direction of that picture that the prophets gave. Then I want to talk to you this morning about the agenda of socialism. And I want you to see that how what's going on in our world, in our country right now, I believe is satanically inspired. Because everything that Marx wrote about and Marx taught through his writings is being played out right before our very eyes. So what is socialism all about? Besides just the economic side of things, the free stuff that we hear promised by politicians, what is Marxism all about? Well, here's a few things. Marxism is demonic. It's demonic. There's no other way to describe it. Karl Marx loathed Christianity. In fact, he made that famous saying that religion is the opium of the people. That it keeps people deluded. That it, it keeps people placid. That it, it, it keeps people under a drug, if you will. And what Marx believed is that for his vision to succeed, the loyalty to the church had to be replaced by loyalty to the state. You see, what Marxism does is Marxism wants government to be your God. It wants government to tell you what you need to put in your body. It wants government to tell you how you can spend your money or where you can live or what to believe or who to vote for and so on and so forth. It is demonic in its nature in that it wants to control every aspect of your life. They want government to be God and the church, listen... The church stands in the way of that agenda being accomplished. That's why the powers that be hate the church. They would be happy if we closed our doors and never met again. If we would sit down, shut up, and just swallow the pill that they give us and don't let us be salt and light, that's what they want. A Black Lives Matter spokesperson, Sean King, he tweeted this out last year during all of the riots. He said, quote, All murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should come down. Tear down the statues of Christ. In other words, take down the church. By the way, you should know something about Black Lives Matter. All of the founders of that organization, if you study who they are, they're all trained in Marxism. They bought into this hook, line, and sinker. It is their world view. And it makes absolutely no sense for Christians to support Black Lives Matter because you're supporting a demonic agenda. By the way, Black Lives Matter also says that Jesus is a white man's God. You know who else said that? Malcolm X. A white man's God. You know, he's an every man's God. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. doesn't matter what color of your skin is, what background you come from, if you're rich or poor, how you voted, what your life was like, you come to Christ. He's a, oh, every man's Savior. Christ died for the whole world. 
Not just for Americans, for Chinese, for Africans, for indigenous folks. Hey, we need to get rid of all of this uh, racial thinking that has been pumped into our society and get back to the basics that for God so loved the world. And He didn't draw lines of distinction down humanity except one, saved or lost. And He cares about souls. And He wants every man to come to know the sweetness and the grace of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll show you how much the, 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 our government hates the church. You may not believe me, but listen to this. During the COVID pandemic, the liberal dystopia of California, which by the way, that's what it's become. You want to see where Asheville's going? Go look at what they did in San Francisco. That's where Asheville's headed. Because we're run by the same worldview, the same mentality. But in the liberal dystopia of California, they took a heavy-handed approach against churches during COVID. Many churches, listen, refused to shut down and were fined heavily by the governor, Gavin Newsom. Well, listen to what's happened. At the end of 2020, 10 churches had fought back in court against the tyranny, and they all won settlements because we still have a constitution, right? A First Amendment that allows us the freedom of speech and to gather. Well, the cost of these lawsuits, listen, totaled $4.36 million that the state of California had to pay back to the churches for their heavy-handed approach to saying that the churches had to be shut down. Now, that's good news, and it's bad news. It's good news because, hey, praise God, the churches were vindicated, but it's bad news because it shows you the utter disdain that many of our leaders have for the establishment of the church. They want to see it closed down. They want to use any means necessary, the long arm of the law or whatever, to shut down all religion, not just Christianity, because they want the government to be God. So, Marxism is demonic. You say, how do you know that, Derek? Because 1 Timothy 4.1, listen to what the Bible says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. I can't think of anything more anti-Christ than Marxism or socialism. And it is unreal to me to think that so many Christians, quote-unquote, are advocating for socialism today. That you can go to a church today, and it's woke church. All you're going to hear is a watered-down message about how you need to apologize for how you were born or the color of your skin. And you never hear anything about the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. You never hear about the forgiveness of the cross. You never hear about any of those things. And we have Christians and churches who have drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, on this, and they don't even realize that they're promoting a demonic doctrine. How deceived are we in the church today? We're the church of Laodicea. Jesus is on the outside knocking, saying, Hey, I'd like to come in and fellowship with you, but you're lukewarm. God help us. Marxism is demonic. Look at this also. Marxism is divisive. It's divisive. Marxism thrives on division. And in historic Marxism, the division was promoted between classes of people. It was the oppressed and the oppressor. And in his system, it was set up like this. The bosses against the workers. And the workers were supposed to unite and overthrow the bosses and there'd be a workers' revolution. This is the hallmark 
of cultural Marxism that we see happening in America today. It's the hallmark of critical race theory. And it is why I believe if you look at where we are as a country today, we've gone backwards a lot of ways when it comes to race relations. Right? Because have you ever, besides the period of the Civil War, have you ever... Can you think of a time, or can you have lived through a time, those of you who have lived long enough, can you think of a time when we were more divided today than ever? And this is intentional. This is what Marxism does. It thrives on creating conflict and drama and division. So it's black versus white. It's women versus men. It's straight versus gays. It's liberals versus conservatives. It's Christians against everybody else because they're the scum of the earth. It's divisive. And here's the crazy thing about it. If you stand up and object, you're branded the racist. You're branded the bigot. You're branded the hater who doesn't understand and who is backwards on the wrong side of history and all that goes along with that. This is the M.O. of Satan. Isn't this what he does? Satan always brings division. In fact, you can trace that pattern throughout the Bible. Look at uh, this slide coming up, how... Satan has done this since the very beginning. He divided the angels. He took a third of them with him in that great angelic rebellion that happened in uh, the beginning of time. The Bible talks about that in Revelation 12 and verse 3. He divided the angels. He took a third of them with him, and they became the, de the demons. He divided the first family. He split up Adam and Eve. He brought sin and deception into that marriage, and then he split up their children where Cain killed Abel, and he divides the church. That's what happened in Acts 5. The first division that comes up, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit. His attempt to try and divide the church at the very beginning. That's what Satan does, and that's the tool that he's using in our country to divide us. To get us to hate each other. To be mean and spiteful to each other on social media. And I'm telling you, the only antidote for that is the love of Jesus Christ. When you get a good dose of the Holy Ghost within you that gives you a love for others that you don't have normally in your flesh. Because if you've got Christ in you and the Holy Spirit living through you, friend, you will not hate folk, you'll love folk. You'll want to sit down and have conversations with folk and say, hey, I don't care about your background. I don't care about the color of your skin. None of that stuff matters to me. I want to know who are you and the core of your being. And try and lead them to the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel brings people together. The gospel is what unites people from every kingdom, tribe, and nation. The gospel is what brings people together under the cross and unites them and says, hey, you were all sinners, you were all condemned, but now you're all united and brought together through the greatness of Christ. Devil wants to divide. And that's what Marxism does. That's the media narrative. They want us to hate each other. But guess what? Not on my watch. I'm going to love folk. I'm going to love my fellow man. I'm going to preach to them. I'm going to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Marxism is divisive. And it's demonic. And Marxism is destructive. It's destructive. We know that it has a terrible track record. In fact, there isn't one good example of it working. And some people say, well, what about the Scandinavian countries? Go study their form of government. They're not socialists. They're very much capitalists. Very much free. Winston Churchill said this, the one-time prime minister of Great Britain, he said, quote, socialism is the equal sharing of misery. Wow. 
Margaret Thatcher, also one time Prime Minister of England, said this, the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. <laughs> Wasn't she on point with that? The gravy train has to end somewhere. Right? Marxism is destructive. In order for Marxism to take hold in a society, listen to this, the old way of life, the old culture has to be dismantled so that they can rebuild on top of its ruins. That's why you hear so many of the dissenting voices today saying, if we don't get what we want, we're going to burn it down. So you see a Wendy's being burned down in Atlanta. So you see most of Minneapolis burned down last year. This is what Marxism does when it gets in people's hearts and minds. This is why you see the tearing down of monuments. Because the way that you destroy a country is you first start with their history. You wipe out their history as a nation and it makes it easier to rewrite the history according to your own image. And when the next generation comes along and they don't know what history is, they're brainwashed into believing anything that the government wants to shove down their throat. This is why you have something infiltrating our schools right now called the 1619 Project, where they are saying that America started out of the foundation of racism. And they say it didn't start in 1776, it started in 1619 when the first slaves came to the United States shores. It's rewriting history, revisionist history, and it's destructive. They want to destroy the American way of life. It also wants to destroy the family. Marx, listen to this, Karl Marx believed that the home was a major bulwark to his evil agenda. The home, the family stood in the way. In fact, one pastor who researched this, he wrote a book about it called We Will Not Be Silenced. Erwin Lutzer, listen to what he said, quote, One reason the nuclear family is an obstacle to Marxism is because of the tendency of children to inherit wealth from the parents. This had to go so that the government could control all wealth. Also, the social institution of marriage and family, he said, had to be destroyed so that the state could take control of educating the children in the communist way. This is why you have all of these knock-down, drag-out, tooth-and-nail fights at the school board meetings that you're seeing on social media. You've seen the videos, haven't you, where the mom, mama bears have been poked one too many times and they know what's being taught to, to their children and they're standing up and they're saying, uh-uh, no more. And they're being shot down and told, no, you don't have authority over your children anymore. Seriously. This is what is coming. It's already here. This isn't down the road. This is already here. And this explains the destruction of the family. This explains why the LBGT agenda works in concert with Marxism because they have the same goal to undermine and to destroy the family. That's why we saw a few years ago when Obama was still in office where they, the Supreme Court made the ruling on same-sex marriage and the White House was painted in the colors of the gay flag. It's all a part of the same agenda to destroy the nuclear family. And where does that come from? Satan! It comes from the enemy. By the way, Black Lives Matter... You know what their mission statement was? It was on their website last year, but they've since taken it down and changed it because people were getting wise to it. Their 
mission statement was, it hasn't changed, but it was, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters. We foster a queer affirming network. My, my, has Satan been working overtime or not? And I hate to sound like a broken record, but this is satanically inspired. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? He said, the enemy has come, what? To steal and kill and destroy. And that's what Marxism wants to do. It wants to destroy this nation, our economy, our culture, our schools, our churches, and yes, even the next generation. The battle could, lines could not be more stark, and the stakes could not be higher. And then lastly, I want you to see this. Marxism is deadly. It's demonic, it's divisive, it's destructive, it's deadly. There's a book that came out in 1999. It was called The Black Book of Communism, and it attempted to calculate a death toll for the nations during the 20th century who had adopted Marxism. So they looked at all the countries that were communists or Marxists, and they tried to tabulate how many people living under these kind of regimes have died. Listen to this. It revealed the most colossal case of carnage in history. In Latin America, 150,000 deaths. Eastern Europe, 1 million deaths. Vietnam, 1 million deaths. Africa, 1.7 million deaths. Cambodia, 2 million deaths. North Korea, 2 million deaths. In the former Soviet Union, 20 million deaths. And in China, 65 million deaths for a grand total of what they approximate to be 93 million people across the world in the 20th century living in these systems who died. You say, put that into perspective. I can't picture 93 million people. Listen to this. The loss of life was greater than the total deaths of both world wars combined and doubled. You take all the men who died on the front lines of battle, World War I, World War II, even the civilians, combine them, double them, then you get to communism. And in light of this overview, here's what I'm here today to say to you. Every American who loves freedom and loves your country and loves the liberty that you enjoy, every born-again, Bible-believing Christian should totally reject this garbage. It is straight from the pit of hell. And I don't care if Facebook shuts me down for that. It is straight from the enemy. And I think that David Jeremiah said it best. David Jeremiah wrote in his book, he said this, quote, Marxism is among the worst ideas ever conceived. Just ask its oppressed multitudes and its countless casualties. As God's people, he said, we should be aware of its history, herald its dangers, and oppose its spread. That is what we are facing. That's the reality of the battle that has infiltrated our shores. I'm not here to be a doomsdayer. I am not a glass half empty guy. I'm an optimist because I've got the Bible and I know who wins. So don't give in to the despair. Don't give in to the doom and gloom. What's the takeaway from all this? Well, number four, I want you to see this. The answer to socialism. We see the direction the world's moving exactly the way Daniel the prophet said it would toward a totalitarian regime where one man sits atop the levers of power. We see the architect of socialism. We trace the idea and how it's infiltrated America. And we see that our nation is now on the precipice. We can fall so very easily. But what's the answer to all of it? 
I bet you already guessed. His name is Jesus. The final lesson that we have to deal with today is how do we live in light of this bad news? And because I'm like you, I'm flesh and blood. You may feel helpless. You may feel overwhelmed as it appears. Gosh, Derek, we're going to be steamrolled by an oppressive agenda and there's nothing we can do to stop it. That's the way the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to think you're already defeated before you go out in battle. But I know a God who's never lost a battle. I know a God who they wrote him off and they said, "Uh, he's dead, he's in the ground, he ain't coming back. And three days later, he came out in power and victory. That's the God I serve. But listen to this. The Bible gives us great hope and instruction on how we are to adjust our lives and live in light of all this. First is this. Three takeaways. What's the answer? The answer, number one, resist the pressure to conform. Resist. Look at what the Bible says, Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing it you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. I don't have to believe this stuff. I don't have to go along with it. The Bible tells me that the Word of God is supposed to form my worldview and tell me what to think and how to think and how to treat my fellow man. I'm to wash thoroughly brainwash my mind with the perfect and inspired and inerrant and infallible Word of God. So here's my word to you. Turn off the television. Turn off CNN. Hey, set aside the, the phone. You don't need the constant stream of social media in your life. Get off of Facebook and get your face in the book and let God do something powerful and transform it in your life through His inspired Word. And anytime, listen, anytime the government tries to violate your conscience or your biblical beliefs, we have the God-given responsibility and prerogative to stand up and speak out and say, hey, I will remain civil, but I will not remain silent. Don't let the outside fool you. I may look like a doormat, but I've got the Spirit of God living within me. And friend, when the Spirit of God raises up a man or a woman, you get courage to resist the form of godliness in this world. But true spirituality isn't going with the direction and the flow of the world. It's swimming against the current. It's being different, thinking different, living different. Refuse to conform with the thinking and the living of the world. I'm not going to shut down my church. I'm sorry. You'll have to strap me and chain me and drag me off and put me in jail. I'm not shutting down. I'm not going to water things down. I'm not going to take my gospel lamp and hide it under a bushel. I'm going to stand strong and stand tall because I have a mandate from Almighty God. And He says, I'll go with you. Listen to this. One of the great Reformation heroes was a man named John Knox. Knox was made famous for opposing Queen Mary. Bloody Mary, did you ever do that foolishness when you were a kid? Well, this was the real Bloody Mary. In 1547, he was captured and forced to be a slave on one of Mary's ships. They wanted John Knox to quit preaching salvation by faith alone through grace alone, in Christ alone. And they wanted to revert the country back to Catholicism. That's what Queen Mary wanted to do. So they put John Knox as a slave on a ship, and they tried to force him to kiss a statue of the Virgin Mary. Here's what he did. He said to his captors, he said, Trouble me not, such an idol is dead, and therefore I shall not touch it. I shall not kiss it. And then he took it, 
and he threw it into the ocean. And he said, let Mary learn how to swim on her own. <laughs> Isn't that good? Hey, resist the pressure to conform. Then next, renew your commitment to the gospel. Renew your commitment to Christ and the gospel. Jesus said this in John 8. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live chained to addiction and drugs and depression and anxiety and all the things that have drug us down into the pit that we live in. You don't have to live that way. You can be free. I know a man who can break the chains. Amen? Did you realize that the fastest growing church in the world is in China? And China is also one of the most oppressive countries in the world. You know why they can't stop Christianity in China? Listen to this. According to Open Doors, which is a mission organization, there are an estimated 97.8 million Christians in China. I think there's more Christians in China than there probably are true Bible-born-again believing Christians in America. That's about 14% of the total 1.4 billion population. Isn't it interesting that China, in China, you have Christianity that's growing like wildfire and the government has tried everything possible to shut it down and they can't? You know why? Because Christianity and the gospel provides freedom that is beyond the control of the Chinese Communist Party. It goes beyond what man can do. It goes deeper. And as our freedoms may be stripped from us here in this nation, we have to understand that the government may be able to take away a few things, but they can't take away my Lord Jesus Christ. And if I've got Him, I've got everything. The hope is not in the government. The hope is not in the next election. The hope is not in uh, the CDC or the Wall Street or Hollywood. The hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly is this. Review the prophetic word. Review the prophetic word. Titus 2.13, listen to this. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know the picture looks bleak. I know the direction that the Bible says the world is going to go. But God gave us a book. God gave us prophecy not to scare, but to prepare and say, Look, you may have to live through some hard times, but don't you know, I've already written it in advance. I know the end from the beginning and everything in between. Don't fear. Go to the back of the book and remind yourself, a day is coming when the sky is going to split. He's going to ride a cross on the clouds. The cry of command. The trumpet's going to be blown. God's people will be out of here. Let's fly, fly away. I got a one-way ticket, Brother Clifford, to go meet Jesus in the air. And you say, I don't believe it, but friend, if you're beside me when we go up, I'm going to high-five you, Brother Doug, and say, I told I told you so. I told you so. Don't be dismayed. Don't be hopeless. You're still salt and light in this world. God's called you for such a time as this. And friend, we may be the generation that's on the earth when Christ comes again. And that is exciting. So let the politicians make their decisions. Let, the, let, let it roll. And I'm telling you what, it ain't changed God's agenda one whit. He ain't changed the date and moved the date when He's coming to get us. 
I review the prophetic word and I get excited about it because I say, Oh, God predicted this a long time ago. Therefore, His word is true. His promises are sure. I might as well anchor my life to it. I don't know how much time I've got left, but I'm going to try and win as many for Him until He comes to get me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a man who knew about this. He knew what it was about to hang on hope. He was a Christian. He was also a political prisoner in communist Russia for many years. He wrote a book uh, many years ago called The Gulag Archipelago where he talks about in that book his experience of being locked away in a Siberian prison because of his beliefs for Christianity. Listen to this. He was forced to work 12 hours a day in a hard labor camp. He existed on a paltry diet of stale maggoty bread. His body became racked with disease. And the doctors predicted that his death was imminent. One afternoon he stopped working. Even though he knew that the guards when they saw him would beat him severely. He couldn't find the, the strength to carry on any longer. Some of you feel that way. Lord, I don't know how, how much longer I can take this. One more shutdown. One more piece of bad news. One more long night. Some of you were there. At the precise moment when Alexander Solzhenitsyn was about to put his face in the dirt and give up. He said in his book, he said that an old man who had a limp wobbled up to him. Saw him laying in the dirt. Didn't say a word. But he took his cane. And in the dust of the ground... He made a cross with his cane. And then he walked away. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that when I saw the man make the shape of the cross in the dirt, he said, I thought about Jesus in the book of John riding in the dirt. He said, I was reminded of the great God, the great Savior, the great hope that I have in the cross of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus came out of the grave, I can come out of this grave and I can keep going forward for Him. You see, our ultimate hope has to be in Christ and His return. And listen to me, America may not be coming back, but Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, friend. And that charges me up, and that gives me hope, and that gives me purpose to go live for Him. And as the things in our world get darker, the things in this nation, as we slide in that direction, the Bible said we would, you know what it does? It causes people to question Causes people to wonder. Causes people to look beyond the temporal things of this world and say, you know, what's, what's beyond? Is this really that all that life is about? And you know what that is? That's breadcrumbs. That's dropped along the way that lead people to the cross. Amen.